uh, hey, welcome back to another episode of Sales Book Club Podcast. Thank you for joining us. This is episode three, and uh, we are thoroughly enjoying, enjoying these podcasts. This week, we are going over Anthony Inurino's book. It's called Eat Their Lunch. And so this is a great book about competitive displacement. Uh, most of us are in industries where we do not have the opportunity to just go into a green greenfield and you know start selling a brand new product. Most of us sell products or services that somebody else also sells. And uh, we need to, to displace those competitors in the market. And this book really focuses on how to do so, strategies on, on what to expect, and really how to come into providing value uh, to those prospect, uh, pers- excuse me, prospects, as well as to your existing clients as you grow them. And so again, I'll, I'll be your host today. My name is Ryan Pugh. I am a technology seller. I work currently with my, uh, for Microsoft and I've been in the tech space for about eight years. And I'll turn it over to my other teammates to, to introduce themselves. Hey Ryan, we uh, really appreciate you hosting. This is Matt Nelson. Um, I have been for about the last 15 years in the trucking logistics supply chain industry and uh, have opportunity to um, lead a great and growing company right now in the sales and operations aspects of the company. And uh, like you, I agree, this is a great um, book to review. I'm looking forward to our discussion and uh, look forward to what you guys have gleaned from it uh, as it as it relates to competitive displacement. So uh, I'm going to pass it over to Zach. Yeah, thanks again for hosting, Ryan. Uh, again, Zach Mofield. I work in a solar racking for, or excuse me, for a solar racking company. Um, so that's what the panels actually sit on. Um, I'm up in Ohio, while the other three are all down in Alabama. So uh, it's it's uh, great that we have technology like this, and I look forward to uh, to discussing this with you guys. Again, yeah, and, and this is Daniel Locke. I work in uh, industrial air pollution controls. Um, trying to help keep the environment clean. Um, as Zach said, yeah, I'm down here in Alabama uh, with the other guys, and I'm just uh, I kind of share Ryan's Ryan's thoughts. This is a, a great great book to to read of of Anthony's. Just to like he said, there's not there's very few of us in sales that get to just go sell into this brand new wide open market. We, we generally have to t- you know earn our business you know, at the expense of our competitors. And so this is a, uh, I'm really excited to discuss this book. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. And I thought it'd be good to give a brief overview of the book, who Anthony is just to kind of give some, you know, set the ground ground level, and then we'll kind of get into what, what the book is about. So uh, for those of you guys out there that aren't familiar with Anthony, Anthony in, in your, you know, he has been in sales profession, I think, since he was about 17. Uh, if you read a lot of his, his stories, you'll talk about how he started out in the family business that they would do uh, temporary hiring for you know, temp workers for different agencies. So he was one of many agencies. There's not a lot of different ways to differentiate yourself from one agency to the next, because at the end of the day, you're hiring temporary workers for some, some business that needs them, right? And so through that process, through that industry, he really learned how to differentiate himself, how to provide value to those prospects, how to come in and he'll discuss, we'll discuss it later, but how to come in from the right where you're actually uh, coming in as a trusted peer versus just a sales guy that's just trying to pitch a product or a service. 
And so that's kind of the foundation of his background. This is his third book. Um, all of them are great. Actually, he's one of my favorites. So I, I thoroughly enjoy reading uh, his stuff. But really kind of the, the focus on this book, again, is all about how do you go out? How do you actively prospect to your dream clients? How do you provide what he calls level four value? And that's coming in from the right and being that trusted advisor. And he really does a good job of um, both highlighting at a high level what, what that strategy is, but also going into the tactical level of here's how you do it. Here's how you prospect. Here's the list that you make. Here is the steps that you should do. And we were talking about it offline beforehand, but one thing I will note about Anthony's books, I think that uh, most salespeople should read them, if not all salespeople, but this is this is advanced selling. This is uh, you know a 400 level class in college of selling. And the reason I say that is he really gets into the, the psychology of selling and the psychology of buying as well. And you really have to apply, uh, you know, some advanced thoughts and techniques to it. It's not overly complicated, I would say. And, you know, you guys can jump in and disagree, of course. But it's definitely not just surface level where you're uh, you're just picking up a phone and dialing. Daniel, you have anything to say? Yeah. So I think, you know, Anthony, it's funny, you know, one of the like you, you kind of touched on it. He talks about entering from the right and, and essentially that, you know, to, in layman's terms, that's you know, coming in to, and having a conversation with uh, your prospective client at a very, very high level, right? And that's that's the, the first step of displacing your competition is, you know, be that subject matter expert or, uh, you know, that trusted advisor. And and to do that, you have to think and, and communicate at a really high level. So it kind of makes sense that Anthony uses, you know, he writes at a very high level um, because that, if you don't, it's going to be hard to come in at that that kind of trusted advisor type mentality. Um, you know, and I'll let Matt kind of or, or uh, Zach give their thoughts. Yeah, I think that's um, what you, what you guys have said is good. And if you haven't read the book, I think it's a good place to start to understand what those four levels are. Um, that level one is just coming in on product alone. Level two is on service. Level three is creating business results. And of course, any one of those are good. But where we where Anthony really challenges us to go as sales professionals is to enter in that level four that Daniel was just talking about as a as a trusted advisor. And I can tell you from um, someone who sells an industry that's very commoditized, everything is price, price, price. That, that's a challenge. And um, one of the things I appreciate that Anthony did is he provided some some ways to uh, to do that like creating an executive summary uh, that kind of outlines this, the current state of, of the industry that you're in. Um, that's one way. What are, so I'm going to bounce this back with a question. Um, what are some ways that you guys have found? Because I, I think I know you three all well enough to know that you guys do this. What are some ways that you have found to enter in to a sales conversation, be it with a prospect? Let's say with a prospect at that level four, what are some real practical ways that, that you guys have done that, um, to have done what, what Anthony's challenged us to do? Anybody? 
I would say this is Daniel. Uh, I would say the the first thing that I generally do is on my big target client lists uh, accounts. I generally look at their annual and quarterly um, reports if they are if they're a publicly traded company, and and what that does is kind of generally gives you a, a, a an indication of which direction at a really high level they're trying to go. And so in our market or in, in my market and in, in the industrial air pollution control side. What a lot of the focus on is reducing CO2 emissions. Um, that's a, a huge, huge target of all cement companies uh, globally. And and where that, I think Anthony, and, and even he goes into chapter one, he identifies this as you know, different stakeholders need different levels of value. And so, you know, going in and talking to, you know, the guy turning wrenches out of the plant, he's not going to have care for that level four conversation. That's not his impact is, is a lot lower. It's down on that, you know, level one or level two. And so, you know, it's, I would say you have to be aware of who you're, you're approaching based on that level. Uh, but I like how, like immediately he starts to kind of in that first chapter, start saying, okay, here's how you guys, you know, this is how you need to approach different people. But, but that's generally, you know, I, I try to start at the top and work my way down with, in terms of, uh, you know, what, what's, important to, you know, my clients, you know, shareholders. We got Ryan. Yeah. So I think it's a great question, Matt, that you're asking, um, you know, something that Anthony talks about, but also I, I've just read other places is that when you're coming in from the right, being that trusted advisor, you actually need to kind of know what you're talking about. Right. And, and so one way that I personally do that, you know, I'm in the technology space. Things are changing constantly. To be quite honest, I couldn't tell you one day to the next what the new technology is out there. But what I what I do as just a routine is, you know, I read a lot of news articles on the industry that I service. I uh, try to keep abreast of legislation that might impact them, um, new security threats, like all these things that are all applicable to my clients, as well as the solution that I provide. I'll highlight that. And then what I also do, I, I'm a little fortunate because I work at a you know global corporation. They do a lot of research internally, but you know, I do stay abreast of um, you know, for example, right now security is a hot topic. I, I service the uh, insurance industry specifically, and security is always a hot topic there. And so we've had a lot of security uh, forums recently where we'll talk about ways that we're combating, you know, insurance fraud or uh, just the other day, we had a uh, kind of an industry expo on how we can uh, prove that photos that are taken by, say, somebody out in the field are actual real photos and not doctored. Now, how does that have any impact on my client? Well, it has an impact because in those conversations that I'm having with them, I'm able to highlight, here's the changes that are going on in the industry. Here's the legislation that might impact you. And here is my advice my trusted advice right we're a trusted advisor and so it's little things like that that i try to bring in and that i try to shape those conversations uh zach did you have any input yeah th thanks ryan and i think you you hit the nail on the head right there ryan it's staying abreast of what's going on in your industry and really being a subject met subject matter let me try again subject matter expert 
Um, you know, that, that's exactly what Anthony's talking about when he says come in from the right and be that level four. Know what's going on in your industry. That way you can do, like he says, be a trusted advisor. Anthony puts it so eloquently when he says to be a trusted advisor. I think we would mention this. You, you need two things, trust and advice, right? So be, be human and form the relationship to gain the trust, but have some advice to give people. Um, and, and really, it's all about creating those, those relationships, mutually benefiting. Um, as far as me, what I do and stuff like this, I kind of do a similar approach to what Daniel does. I try to look through if it's a larger company, like an annual report, a 10K or anything like that. Um, and then tailor the message accordingly to what maybe some of their goals are. And really, uh, like Anthony talks about, um, try to capture some of that mind share and say, hey, here's here's what we're noticing in the the solar industry. Luckily for me, um, there's not a uh, a small amount of information about out there about solar. So there's a ton of information you can read. There's a ton of free publications. Um, so I would I would challenge someone who who's listening to this uh, to to really just do some research on what industry trade magazines are out there. Um, you, even if it's a subscription, you have to pay for. The, the ROI will definitely be there once you're able to provide some of that uh, industry knowledge. Daniel, do you have something, buddy? Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, I thought, you know, you brought the the topic of mindshare, and I thought there was something really interesting about uh, how Anthony kind of breaks down what mindshare is and, and why that matters. And uh, what I thought was really, really neat was Anthony kind of describes the mindshare as, uh, that mindshare means you own a portion of your prospective client's thinking. And the way I kind of interpret that was uh, when X, you know, issue pops up or, or conversation, whether, you know, if it's important to your, your industry, if that subject comes up, are you in their mind, the, one of the, the first things that come up is, Oh, Daniel knows all about that. You know, if, if I need to get some additional information or understand what that means to my business, that's probably, that's the first place I'm going to call. That's the way I interpret that. And I think it's really impactful if you can get to that point. Now there's a lot of steps I think that, that, you know, you have to go through and chapter three helps lay out some of that of, of, of approaching that. But, you know, I, I thought that's, you know, articulating it in that way. That's, that says, you know, when X pops up, they think of you. I think there's not a better strategic position to be in um, as long as it's on those, uh, on those topics that you want to focus on. Ryan. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was kind of made me think about actually chapter four and beyond. So to your, to your point, Daniel on Mindshare, what is the expectation though of the prospect actually calling us versus us calling out to them, even if we do have some kind of mind share. Anybody want to take that? Or did I lob up a hard one? That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. So repeat that question again, Ryan. So what is the expectation if the customer so, calls us versus us calling them? Yeah. So in, you know, uh, Daniel talks about mind share, which is very much fundamental part of what Anthony talks about that we need to, you know, be providing value and have that mind share for our prospects and our clients. But is the expectation on the client or the prospect to actually call us or is the, is the um, outbound efforts need to be on our, on our end? Oh, I, I, I think absolutely. The outbound efforts have to be on our end. 
um, you know, because we're, we're disrupting, we're, we're trying to displace our competition. And, you know, let's just face it. Sometimes our customers are real happy with their current provider and, and we're trying to come in and show them that we do some, we do some aspect of that business different enough to get them to take a look. Um, so I, I think that responsibility is on us hands down. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, you know, I think you put your, by it from an outbound perspective, you put yourself into a position and you have to be, you have to be intentional about what that is. Um, you know, you, spamming emails doesn't work anymore, right? That, that That is gone. So if you can pinpoint exactly what it is that you want to discuss that, you know, most it should lead back to what your company, you know, excels at in comparison, but you build that over time, whether it's some, through nurture campaigns or something, you know, something, phone calls, you know, emails, whatever that, that outbound uh, model is, but eventually they're going to reach a point from an, most of my experience and, and internal conversation that they have. And they say, man, that guy, you know, has been talking about this for a little while and our current provider, it's not even on their radar. He's onto something. And that's when I, I feel like that, that, you know, switch happens that opens that door up for that conversation to change um, in, in your behalf, but it takes time and, and it has to be from, from an outbound perspective. You can, you can put it on your website and all this other stuff and SEO is, a, it works so far, but at the end of the day, you have to build a, a, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with, with individuals about whatever content or context that is that you want to talk about. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, one reason I brought that up is the four of us, we've talked about this before. We believe that sales is a profession and we're constantly trying to grow. And Anthony highlights that too, and has the same belief. And as professionals, it's our job to go outbound. It's not our job to expect somebody to call us. Does it happen sometimes? Absolutely. Um, but by no means can we sit back and, and just wait for the phone to, to ring. That's not a <laughs> pathway to success. Um, one thing else, uh, Zach, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good, Ron. I appreciate it. Um, no, I think I think uh, we've heard it. I don't care who you're reading, whether it's Anthony, um, it's Mike Weinberg, it's Jeb Blunt, whoever it is, any thought leader out there, they're going to say the same thing. You know, you got to pick up the phone, do time blocking and, and, and interrupt someone's day and and really set that appointment and stuff, which, which we all know we, we've discussed at length about that. But I think Daniel mentioned a, an interesting point about um, a nurture campaign. You know, Anthony says, I'll read it here just so I don't mess it up. Um, when he, he's talking about sequencing in a message and a plan, he said, this, this work cannot be done sporadically or without intentional, well-designed pursuit plan and insights that lead to change. And that goes back to like what, uh, Daniel was saying. If somebody has an issue, they know that, Hey, this person over here has been reaching out consistently with different ideas that I may have not even been talking about with our current supplier, um, and, and really the point in that is there's intentionality, but then it's also it's helped creating that mind share that we had previously talked about. So it was just that that chapter three was a great um, um, section. He also gave a few more examples about once you get some of these articles. I mean, if you find an article in January, you could probably use that depending on how relevant it is a whole quarter, maybe two quarters. You, you might even be able to use it the whole year 
but continue to rack up stuff like that and keep that and build this, I'll call it a pipeline of data, if you will. And I thought that was a big takeaway for me. Yeah, ch chapter three is like the most practical guide on, on, we'll say that outbound sequencing. And I really, really, uh, the first time I read it, I immediately implemented it and it's and started having some some good, great results from it. Um, and actually kind of, Zach, what you said uh, with this chapter, there's a there's one line and it's the it's probably the best connection back to New Sales Simplified by, by Weinberg, our last book. Why I think these two books pair together so incredibly well is, um, you know, Mike talks about, you know, uh, your sales story and, and having a differentiated message out right from the beginning. Uh, and on the top of page 54, Anthony writes, it's very, it very much matters how you enter a conversation with your dream client. And that kind of tie, and that again, ties to new sales simplified, but it also may also matters within the terms of mind share, because if you can immediately differentiate from the very first um, step of your, of your outbound campaign, that's an entire different conversation than, oh yeah, me too. Because if you, me too, you immediately get commoditized. But if you, uh, if you enter from, you know, as a strategic partner or at, at a, these different levels, that's a wildly different conversation. And then he does get in in a couple of later chapters about discovery. And, and so, you know, I think, again, they both drive home, both books really drive home. It is all about like that very, very first um, interaction and impression that that uh, you build with uh, a prospective client. Yeah, great, great point, Daniel. Um, one question that kind of came up throughout the book, and Anthony did a good job of uh, highlighting it early on is obviously we're in a competitive market, the book is about competitive displacement. But one thing that he does a really good job of is saying, we need to approach this competitive displacement honorably uh, above board. And really, we're not there to talk trash about our competitors or uh, win by some sneaky way. It's really there to provide value. And I was kind of curious if anybody want to chime in on and what they thought about that. I was actually glad he highlighted it. But any any thoughts there? You know, the term value it's in i i try to stay away from words like you know providing value or you know selling solutions because they're so vague in in what the deliverable is uh and and anthony does he hits on this um in uh and i think chapter six or seven is it's about outcomes right if it, you have to focus on the outcome for the client not about your competitor or or where you know how your product best fits in because at the end of the day you they have to you have to execute on whatever it is that you're selling, and and it has to work, you know, and you have to have that message that it works, and so I think by focusing on the outcome, you know, you it, you your competitors don't really matter, uh, it, they're there they exist. But if they're not already delivering those outcomes or having that conversation about those outcomes, then I mean they're they're already a second tier below you because you know you're not worried about uh, all the those day to day issues that I mean servicing a, a client is complicated and and there's ups and downs but at the end of the day 
if they walk away and said, oh, our, our interaction with your company provided this ROI, you know, that's the, that's the ticket. Yeah. What do you got, Matt? I think it goes back, and I agree wholeheartedly with that, Daniel. It goes back to what your motive is as a sales professional. Um, you know, if your motive is to make a lot of money, to, you know, hit all your numbers, hit all your goals, I mean, I mean that's going to come through. But if your motive is, is, like you were just saying, Daniel, is to help your client win, regardless if they use your service or not, clearly, clearly we want them to use our service. But if if you can position your customer, your client to be at a place where they win at, at whatever it is that they do and however you support that, then then that's going to that's going to pay off. That that mindset is going to pay off so much greater uh, and the value that you bring is going to be so much greater than if you're worried about your competitor. I mean, one of the, we I say it all the time is, hey, I, I don't think I'm going to be a great fit for you, but here is somebody who is who here is a company who is a better fit. And if, if I can help my client win, if they, if they win at moving that shipment from A to B and, they, and, and I'm not the, the one who moves it, but, but they still win, then that's a win for me. And that'll pay off. I think that mindset is you're going to win down, eventually down the road. Yeah. The, again, this is Zach. I think you guys do, do a great job talking about that. Um, I, I ran across that when I worked in plastics a, a lot more than I do currently. Um, you know, we had a specific type of plastic uh, manufacturing that we did, but if they had a, a part that was just not suited for what we did and they could do it faster, cheaper, quicker, and, and I guess you can even say more reliable depending on what they need, um, then I would have tried to advise them on that because just like Anthony talks about, you gain the trust because they're like, hey, they're actually looking out for our best interest. And then not only the trust, you've got the advice because you have that knowledge of that industry and it just um, it, it just works so well. And like you said, Matt, if, you know, kind of foretelling what our next book is going to be Selling from the Heart by Larry Levine. And, and I can't wait to read that one just in conversations with Larry. But when you really do that, you really get that trust from your customer, potential customer um, or, or really just anything in life. If you just speak from the heart, have somebody's best interest even though that may not be the best outcome for you personally, financially, or, or whatever it may be, it's going to come back tenfold to you. And I, I've seen it numerous times. I'm sure you guys have as well. Yeah, I, I agree, Zach. And this is Ryan. And something I was thinking about as I was reading the book, because again, this book is not a sales one-on-one book. This is a, a higher level book, not to dissuade you from reading it early on in your career. I think actually it's it's a good book to read early on in your career. But I say that to say that uh, sometimes when you're new into an industry, you might not know that much about your clients. You might not know that much about your prospects yet. And so, but I shouldn't, that shouldn't dissuade you from starting today. I, I read something the other day that said, if you wanted shade, the best time to plant a tree would have been a hundred years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is today. And I, I think that also applies to the knowledge that you're trying to gain within whatever industry that you happen to be in. You know, start today, just read a, read an article, uh, find a trade publication, start looking at, as a salesperson, I am a trusted peer and advisor to my clients. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned it was, you know, this book is, you know, I guess dense and, and it 
what helps is having a, a, a well-rounded background of, of we'll say, I won't call them sales techniques, but just this understanding of sales and, and different models and what works. Um, but I wanted to kind of ask you guys, uh, I guess, a question. He get, Anthony gets really deep, deep into the weeds uh, regarding discovery on chapters like five uh, through eight. Right. And that, that's kind of, okay, you're in and you're, you're having those conversations, right? You're, the prospecting aspect of it's done. And now we're moving into, okay, how do we, how do we build this through the client? And it's, it's really, like I said, it's really dense. I think one thing that would help a lot is if somebody has like a little bit of a background in like Miller Hyman, like techniques, right. Of, of really building out like the, uh, an understanding of your stakeholders and, and that network network. But there was like two big points in chapter five that I thought like they were rereading this. Like it was just a fantastic reminder. And, you know, it, through that discovery conversation uh, or conversations with different folks, uh, there was one quote I, I absolutely loved. It said beliefs lead to act, out, actions, actions lead to outcomes, good or bad. Right. So you have to understand and have those those really um We'll say deep conversations with with what people believe, and, and he's got this model of these four quadrants, and and it's a little, like I said, it's a little complicated, a little dense. I think I better understood it the, the second, third time I read the book, um, but it's really it, it it is absolute gold once you actually grasp it. Um, that you have to understand where people are coming from individually as well as organizationally, right? If an organization has this shared belief that X is the right right model, but the leader is, has a different one, you're going to have issues on implementation or delivering those outcomes um, on the execution side. And so, you know, you as a, as a salesperson trying to deliver that outcome, it's, that's a big, you have to understand the dynamics of the client themselves. Cause I mean, in my, in my experience, a lot of times it's not so much um, tension within different uh, competitors, right. Of, on who's selling the solution. A lot of times it's internal issues that's, that's got the uh, clients bound up and, and struggling to move forward. And so you have to, to, to really seek that out and seek out all those different uh those different ideas. And then the other one, uh, and then I'll, I'll pass it to you guys is because it kind of ties to this is <laughs> we can see this in our normal media is not everyone agrees on facts, right? So as you're, you're working through the discovery, what this guy says is the problem may be different from what this guy says is the problem or, or the solutions might be different or all of these different forces are at play. And so it's really important to do good discovery. Um, Matt, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, hey Daniel, I agree with that. I think I think a huge part of the discovery is, and, and I'm so guilty of not doing what I'm about to say, um, but is to 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 have a broadened scope of who your audience is with your prospect or your customer. So often we just have we're, we're talking to one person, um, but we need to through our discovery and through the information gathering phase and, th and through those conversations with those one people, we need to find out who are the stakeholders because it's typically not just one person. It's usually a, a team, an executive team or a procurement team, somebody that's somebody that's going to touch that process or touch that um, service or that item that you're selling um, and we need to know who those all those players are, and we need we need to have that list, and we need to 
do the due diligence to make sure we're understanding that. And who is it that refers to who makes the reference to understanding who the CEO of the problem is? Um, and we sure better know who that is. And we, we need to have an audience with more than just one person when we walk in and start building those relationships and doing that displacement. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. Zach, what are your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, I, I was going to go right there, Matt. So I appreciate it. Uh, the, I, I like what you said about the CEO of the problem. Um, Anthony mentions that in there about finding the person that this is going to affect. And I almost would say we take it one step further and each um, position in the company that you've got to compel to change, they, they're, I would consider them a CEO of a problem just in a different way. You know, if it's, they all have their own issue with that change potentially, and, and you've got to be able to overcome and create that mind share of this is why this is going to be a good change. Um, so, I mean, I, I just thought it was a great, like you said, Daniel chapter, was it five, six and seven? He, ta he talks about um, discover something about themselves, creating opportunities and then building consist, con excuse me, building consensus horizontally as well as vertically. And it was just, it was a ton of information and I, I'm right there with you. It was, a, it was a lot to take in, but I feel like when you truly grasp that concept, you're going to get much better results because I'm sure you guys, just as I have, you, you've worked with one person throughout the whole process. They're committed. Yes, yes, going to. And then all of a sudden it just stalls, goes away, never comes back again, or you never hear from them because they're not interested anymore. And had I done more research, like, like Anthony talks about here, you get a better um, feel of what's going on and then also some more momentum to compel the change. So great, great point, guys. Yeah. And then what happens when that one person leaves during that process to get right. another company? Very then you're well starting said. all over. Um, yes. So it creates quite a challenge when we're singular in our focus. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. too. Or they yeah. don't have the authority or, or there's all kinds of different uh, different scenarios that things can go badly when you're working with just a single, you know, a single person on their side. And you also only get their perspective, I think is, is kind of the, the key back to that is like their, that one perspective is, is a narrow, it's a narrow segment of, you know, what it, the imp their view of the impact that your, your outcome solves. It's, you know, it's a disservice to, to only do that. It's a, but it's a challenge that some people just want to be that gatekeeper and they, they want to hold, you know, hold all that in. And that's, that's a really big challenge. I think for a lot of people struggle with that. I struggle with it too, guys that, you know, all right, how do you get more breath into an organization during that discovery uh, period? Yeah, I, I would agree, Daniel, because there's times, sometimes you just like who you're talking to, right? You get into a comfortable rhythm with them. And then uh, you have to look at, all right, who else is in the organization that I need to speak to? And I think sometimes as salespeople, we think we're going to offend our main point contact. In reality, you're not. You know, there's definitely respectful ways of going about uh, prospecting beyond them. But at the end of the day, we're there to, to provide an outcome like Daniel was talking about. Uh, one thing I wanted to highlight, too, and unless, Daniel, you had something. Okay. So again, this is a book he's writing about a perfect scenario, right? You come in, you're the trusted advisor, you know, all the industry facts and figures, you know, what the problems are that are coming in the future. You guys have a solution for it. So, you know, under that perfect scenario, he says, you still have to create your list of prospects and, and go outbound. 
And one thing that he highlights, Anthony highlights early on that I really love is it doesn't matter if you have the gold standard solution, people are still going to say no to you. And how do you overcome that? And how do you like resolve that? And I think he highlights it early on because we're all delicate flowers, right? As salespeople and we're, our feelings get hurt when people tell us no. And so I think he just tells us early on, Hey, they're going to say no. The majority of the time, just suck it up, deal with it. Just curious what you guys thoughts were on that. I love that he highlighted it. I'll go from there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Ryan, that you brought up. I actually had a note down here. Anthony uh, had, had a great phrase. He said, we humans are not rational creatures. We're rationalizing creatures. And that kind of goes back to what you said. Even though your product may be a better solution, we're, we're not very rational in our thinking. We think, hey, we'll make this decision. And then after we make it, we'll say it was a good decision because X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I think of personal stuff I've bought in, in my life, whether it be a car, a couch, a house, or whatever it may be. You, you convince yourself that it's a good idea. And, and sometimes you may actually go, eh, maybe it's not a great idea. I shouldn't have done that. But how many times, you know, think of something you recently bought. Well, that was a good idea because this, 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 and this, right? So I think it, it goes back to, again, a, an underlining theme that reoccurs in the, in the book is creating that mind share of continually letting them know this is why this is a good um, thing to do. Do this, do that, do X, Y, and Z. But you, you can't get there until you have that industry knowledge that, that we have talked about. So gr great point, Ryan. I'm glad, glad you brought that up. So I've, I've got another question for you guys. And this is, I think, I, I didn't, I don't think I realized the first time I read this, you know, a couple of years ago that I identified with it as much as I did, but as reading back through it again, I absolutely love that uh, in chapter seven, he takes a, a pretty bold stance against Bant. And for, for people that may not know sales well, you know, Bant is budget, authority, need, and and time, right? And so it's like, it's a qualification point. It's like, okay, do they have a budget? Nope. Well, then they're not qualified. And I love that he pushes back on it because if you enter from the right, right at a, a really high level and you're having these these conversations to to move your prospective client's business forward, most of the time they're not going to have a budget set aside because they may not know of the, what the problem is yet. Right. Like that, that's you're bringing um, a certain level of uh, visibility to, you know, these, these ideas that can improve their business. So I, I really enjoyed that. They put, he, he really pushed back on that because I identify with that uh, wholeheartedly. And what I do is, you know, yeah, you don't have a budget, but, Man, if if I can get in there and help you understand why you need to create a budget, I'm in a much, much, much better situation than my competitors uh, are going to be because that kind of goes back like with with Weinberg. If I can help you write the specification, it's going to naturally benefit me and and our and my view of what the right uh, outcome is that that you need for your business. Uh, what do you guys, I guess, th thoughts on? on kind of that, there's a good other portion of that chapter that were, it was a really good uh, couple pages of, of writing. Yeah. And, and Daniel, I'll chime in real quick. I think one thing about Anthony that 
people should be aware of. So this is his third book. He's writing a fourth one from what I understand as well. And they all have a very, they're not all the same, but they do have a theme, right? Because he is who he is. Uh, and one thing he highlights is that certain sales techniques and strategies that we had in our past, like that were taught in the eighties, nineties earlier, such as Bant, sometimes are applicable in the modern selling, but sometimes they're not. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, I actually, it's funny. My last role, I had to have Bant. It was part of our, uh, opportunity discovery and, but at the end of the day, why would they have a budget for something that they don't know the problem even exists? Like that doesn't make any sense. So you're right, Daniel Anthony does do a great job of, of highlighting that. But I think he also just does a great job of highlighting there are new techniques and new strategies that we can deploy nowadays as modern sales professionals. And I'll turn it over to Matt or Zach. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't, we forget how smart our customers are and we're not the only salespeople that are calling on them. And so they know all, they know Bant, so they know what we're doing. Um, where if we go back to relationships, authenticity, as Zach already said, we're going to review Larry Levine's book, selling from the heart, going back to the heart of why we do what we do. And, and we, and we, cause I, I've been in that place too, where I, I had to have Bant. Uh, I couldn't go on a sales call if I didn't, if I couldn't clearly define that band and man, that drove me crazy, man. I said, I'm getting to know them and we'll figure all that out as we go. But I mean, I'm trying to create influence is what I'm trying to do and influence that ultimately leads them to choosing me. I love the last two sentences of that chapter, Daniel chapter seven. He says, first you build consensus that change is necessary. And then you build consensus that you are the right partner when you have the consensus, the competitive displacement becomes all but inevitable. So you're not always in the process of building consensus that you are the right uh, partner for them. I don't, I don't think you have to have band. I think there's some parts of it that that's good to have, but um, I, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. Is that yeah, you know, yeah. Or Daniel. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt and I'll, I'll let you go, Zach, but I, I you know, he and begins and ends chapter seven you know, with that, that, with that, uh, that point is, you know, I, and I have it written in my notes here, every interaction early in the sales process has capitalized has to begin with building the consensus to change, right? You're overcoming the status quo first, not your competitor. Just, you have to overcome the status quo. And I don't know if, if you guys are like me, but the just the word status quo makes my stomach churn just hearing it. Uh, it just, I can't stand it. So, uh, I just wanted to like know that, man, he starts and ends with it. Zach, what'd you got? I think I would, the only, yeah. So the only thing I would add to that, um, I agree with everything you guys said, there's not always a cut and dry way to do it. But, uh, one of the things I really thought about, uh, in that section, he talks about the, a, the authority, even though ultimately he says one person really signs the contract. Um, I feel like in today's age, people are really trying to get consensus of like a team buy-in. So even though that may not be the um, person who ultimately signs the contract, that could be a major influencer that you're dealing with. Um, and, you know, and I've seen that at organizations I've worked at that they don't technically have the the authority to do that, but their opinion their opinion is uh, highly valued. So great, great stuff. 
Yeah, he says here, influence is similar to authority, except it's invisible. And I thought that was a, that was fantastic, just putting it that way. I'm like, all right, and that kind of goes back to our point earlier about, you know, you really have to get a solid breadth of discovery because there may be people that are influencing this deci- this decision uh, or or have that knowledge and, you know, they're invisible to you. And that's those the if they detract from you, then it's going to make it a really difficult to move forward with with building that consensus change. Um, no, that's like there's a really really strong chapter. Yeah, uh, I think sometimes as as sellers, it almost helps us to be on the buyer side of things sometimes. So I've been I've had opportunities before where we've looked at new software or something like that to purchase and. I've been on the buyer side of things and as a salesperson, I start critiquing everything they're doing. Uh, But it kind of, if you think back in those scenarios, usually there's somebody in the room with you that maybe they have the title, maybe they don't, but they do have that influence over that buying decision. And so we need to be cognizant of that on the selling side as well, that there may be people that we're not talking to that exist in the organization that, we absolutely need to be talking to. And that's why I think he, Anthony does such a, a, like a deep dive into discovery, so to speak. And he does that in his other books as well. It's, it's really not a step that you can skip. Just a brief side note before we get to the, to the wrap up portion of this. Uh, do you guys ever just answer, answer some calls from, from sales, other salespeople and just <laughs> like critique them like or not, but like, maybe not like verbally, but you're like, all right, let me see how, how you're approaching this. And, <laughs> and, uh, I did that happened to me last uh, week, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> I do that. Like, uh, you know, the one company's like, Hey, do you have 27 seconds? And I was like, that's cool. The first time. But when you're, you know, three other reps have called me in the like, last three months in the first line I hear is like, Hey, do you have 27 seconds to hear? I'm like, Oh man, that, that gets old real quick guys. You need to change it up. But anyway, um, yeah, we've we've got a few minutes left, but from a you know kind of a wrapping wrapping it up, um, I, I thought it was a good, I thought it would be a good idea, and it's it's a really short chapter, but uh, kind of the the final chapter chapter twelve, uh, you know, Anthony talks about how do you build a wall around your uh, a, sorry build a wall of fire around your clients, and I really like that term wall of fire because it's you know it, it's very visual. And it's not just, okay, here's a brick wall and okay, there's a wall. It's a wall of fire. Like, do not pass this. I really like the way he put that in there. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on that chapter? It's only 10 pages long, but man, it's, it's, it really summarizes well the whole contents of his book. I enjoyed it because it made me think about my own client interaction. So again, for most of my career, I've been on that existing customer side of the house, uh, really trying to grow and expand with our existing customers. And you can get complacent with those customers. Sometimes I would just, you know, hit up the same person constantly. And I wasn't really there providing a lot of value, so to speak. Uh, I wasn't providing new ideas or anything to the client. I was just servicing them essentially. And so I, I thought that the chapter was, was spot on on how he highlights how you need to maintain that wall of fire, you know, steps that you need to take. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think uh, middle page 198. This is Matt. Um, 
he says the primary key to retention is to go from quarter to quarter and year to year, always pushing to create new value. And it's easy to get in that place of complacency, Ryan, and, um, and, and, and feel like we, we've secured the business. We don't need to create any more value, but we do need to constantly create value for our existing customers to help create that wall of fire. So yeah, I, I think that's a great chapter. Zach, your thoughts? Yeah, I liked it as well, fellas. I mean, uh, you know, at the very end, just one other side note on it is at the end of every chapter, he's got that box that says, do this now. So at the end of that chapter, the, the first question he, or I guess statement, well, no, it's a question. He said, what new value do you need to create for your existing clients to protect them from competitive threats? And I thought, man, that, that just sums up the whole chapter, right? Building that wall of fire around them. What am I doing con to consistently make sure someone's not doing what I just did to them if I displace them or or what have it? So it just just a great uh, recap of, you know, continue sharpening the salt to use the, the Covey phrase. Absolutely. Or, or really the thrive phase, too, that we we talked about, too. She said uh, continue to get better. Meredith did at, at the end of that first podcast. So she does. Yeah. At yeah. Risk, which is a great book. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Brian, please. I'll say the, my my last thoughts on it was, you know, you talked about servicing, and I thought that was, a, it was he kind of builds the dichotomy there of, you know, a lot of times they see the salesperson, especially as an on as an existing client, right? Once you have have their uh, their business, that a lot of times that's the client often will push you into the firefighter, right? Like. All right, you know Johnny on the spot. You know, he he mentions that, and you know, hey, can you help us with this? Well, our salesperson has all that, and and that it's really really easy to fall into that serviceable. Like, okay, we're servicing your clients, rather than you know, fo always staying focused on the outcomes. I thought that that was uh, a really good dichotomy of like, how do I need to view our relationship? as a salesperson, I need to constantly view this as in terms of outcomes, not on, uh, on a serviceability. Well, agreed hundred percent. In fact, it reminds me, and I know we're about to wrap up, but it reminds me of, I've had instances where I've had accounting reach out and say, Hey, can you hit up this customer because they haven't paid a bill lately? And I'll say, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's not my job. Not only is it not my job, it changes the dynamic of the relationship, right? Uh, we're no longer a trusted computer. We're just somebody pursuing a bill. And so I think Anthony does a good job of highlighting both internally and externally how we should act as sales professionals. Uh, so again, the book, Eat Their Lunch by Anthony in Reno. Great book. I love all this stuff. Uh, from my recommendation, I would say as a sales professional, absolutely, you should read his stuff. I would probably read his books in order, though. Uh, his first book is the only sales guide that you ever need actually he has it right here in the back of his book and then he gets into the lost art of closing and then finally into this book uh so my takeaway though absolutely this should be a book on your shelf that you've read multiple times it is a little dense i don't mean that to scare anybody it's just you have to apply some critical thinking to to the uh topics that he is describing uh daniel kind of your takeaway i'll just go and circle yeah no I, I think i i would agree with you this this book is again i think it pairs well with with mike weinberg but i i think the you do have to have a a, a solid base of understanding of, of sales the sales process 
um, and what that means to your clients. Uh, I think before you're really reading this, again, we kind of mentioned it, it's not sales 101 by any means. It's very, very strong, impactful uh, content, but uh, an absolute must read for anybody, you know, pick a, pick a, a length of time, right? Five years into your sales career, whatever that may be. But I think uh, it really kind of takes a lot of different areas. Like Miller Hyman, it talks about, he talks about spin selling in there, challenger sale. He does kind of touch on all of these, these previous books and in the shift, not necessarily away from those, but like the good parts of them and how to draw that forward. And if, if you don't understand kind of these older um, foundational books, it might be a little bit hard for you to, to grasp um, the entirety of this book, Matt. Excuse me. Totally agree. It's a must read. Uh, we're in the business of sales. It's our job to competitively displace our competitors. And the best way to do that is by entering at that level four. And the best way to do that is to be a person of value, be authentic, be true to yourself. And, um, and then don't get complacent with your existing customers. Build that ring of fire around them and bring the same value to them as you bring to your prospects. Must read. Absolutely. Yeah. So la- lastly, for me, I'll, I'll leave everyone with this quote here. Um, you know, if I, I would say don't read this book if you know the feeling of having a wonderful, groundbreaking new product and a list of prospects who desperately need it, making it easy to close lucrative deals with minimal effort. That's exactly what Anthony writes at the beginning of the of the, the cover of the yes. book. So if you have that, then don't worry about reading it. If you don't read the book, it's going to be well worth your time. <laughs> well, good job, Zach. That was a good one. That is. Thank you, Zach. And, you know, again, thank you guys for joining us.